won't take with the kids' sermon notes. So, uh, but that's okay. We can all be kids, kids from time to time. Can we not? I'd like to welcome everyone who's joining us today. Uh, this is just one part of our service here at City Temple and Chelsea Community Church. If you want to join the whole thing via Zoom, drop us an email, uh, or you can come and visit us in person at 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Uh, if you have your Bible, let's turn to chapter 11 of the Gospel of John. John chapter 11, as we read together the story that uh, I told the kids earlier. Before we read, let's pray. Father God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would rest on me as I bring your word to your people. And I pray, Father God, that you bless this reading of your word and open our hearts so that we might receive it and believe it and live it, all for the glory and honor of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to Jesus saying, uh, Lord, uh, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death, for it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after he said, after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. He will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, 
the Son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. Did you ever notice when you're reading the story, he wasn't calling for her. So it's a little deviousness on Martha's part to get Mary to respond. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise and quickly go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply disturbed in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do for this man performs many signs? If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe him. And the Romans will come and take away our place and our nation. Well, one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not only for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. There was a woman out one day in New York City uh, deciding to go out to buy a present for a friend. And so she walked into one of the large department stores there. Now, this is a true story. She walked into one of the large department stores and thought, you know, maybe I'll look at jewelry. And so she walked up to the jewelry counter and uh, asked the woman behind the counter, said, uh, do you have, uh, I'd like to look at your, the crosses that you might have. And the young woman said, oh, that's great. Uh, do you want a plain one? Or would you like one with a little man on it? Well, she didn't even understand. Uh, there was a few years ago, The Guardian. I, I only found this out 
because I was researching back, uh, oh, it's been about 30 years ago, ago, I read about a pastor in the United States and the United Church of Christ in the U.S. who decided to convert to Buddhism. But he didn't resign as a pastor because he didn't see any conflict between being a Buddhist and being a, a pastor of a church. And so the Guardian asked a bunch of people a few years ago, can you be a Christian and a Buddhist? And here's a couple of the answers. Uh, one guy says this, my answer to that is, of course you can. I trained in theology and was a Christian minister for 19 years before becoming a gardener. This career move allowed me time to develop the sort of reflective practices with the support of a Buddhist group that Christianity used to encourage as non-discursive prayer. That means prayer where you're not talking to God. Uh, in my tenure as a teacher of clergy, gets that, we often had lunchtime sessions of meditation informed by Christian and Buddhist teachings. Or this other person, I'm married to someone who attends Quaker meetings and Buddhist meditation sessions. So yes, you can. There's apparently quite a lot of crossover between the Buddhists and the Quakers in Britain. And then uh, just one more here. Uh, this one says, I don't see why not. Western society expects us to believe six dozen contradictory things at once already. So what's one more? So when I was looking at that, I came, did come across another story about a UCC minister, only in this case, it was the United Church of Canada. And uh, this, this uh, minister in Toronto was allowed to keep her church even though she openly declared that she was an atheist. And she was actually investigated by the denomination. And in the end, they decided that she could stay uh, as the church. One of her members uh, said this, West Hill, uh, that's the name of the church, West Hill is the future of what religion will be like, says one 65-year-old church member, highlighting its metaphorical interpretation of religious symbols and emphasis on environmental and social justice. We're thinking and saying what the rest of the world is scared to, but moving towards. Interesting comments there throughout. Now, there are so many opinions about Christianity. There's so many opinions about Jesus that are out there. And, you know, you, you kind of think, golly, you know, if, if, if a church can't even say, well, you really need to be, believe in God in order to be part of this church, there's something going on. There's a challenge. And the question is, whose opinion do you trust? Whose opinion do you believe? I can give you my opinion, but why is my opinion any more valuable than anybody else's opinion? And so I think it's time, and we've been doing that in this series, for us to forget what other people have said. Let's forget even what the Apostle Paul said about Jesus. Let's forget about what the early church said about Jesus. And let's go back and let's look at what Jesus said about Jesus. Because ultimately... In my mind, Jesus' opinion is the one that counts. Jesus' opinion is either true and we should be following him or it's false and we should be maybe going someplace else on a Sunday morning. And today, Jesus said, 
one of the most powerful and provocative things so far in the text we read. Jesus said about himself, his opinion, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. That's the claim that he made. And either that claim is true or it's not true. And oftentimes, I don't know that we understand the claim. So before we evaluate its veracity, let's look at what he's actually saying here when he says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Now, first of all, we need to understand the first three words, I am the. Jesus is saying this for himself, in himself. He's not saying, oh, I and a bunch of other people. He says, I am, and he says, the. The use of the definitive article in the Greek is indicating that there's not, he's not saying, oh, well, I'm resurrection, I'm life. He's saying, I am the resurrection and the life, as in the one, not one of the many. And so we have to understand how definitive Jesus is being here. There's no lack of clarity in the Greek about what he's saying. And first of all, Jesus says, I am the resurrection. And he says, as a definition of that, he says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Whoever believes in me, though they, they die, they shall live. In other words, Jesus is saying very clearly, death is not the end, and that there is a new resurrection life that comes for those who believe in him. And the promise is that every person who has faith in Jesus, based on who Jesus says he is, will live on, will experience resurrection when they die physically. Not based on anything else except what he says he is. Now we have to understand when Jesus says this, Jesus is saying as well that every belief system that does not teach resurrection is false. Not, oh, it's another way to get there. He is saying that it is false. That means Hinduism is false. Because Hinduism does not teach resurrection. It teaches reincarnation. And reincarnation and resurrection are incompatible with one another. Either one is true or the other is true. They both cannot be true. Jesus is saying as well that Buddhism is false. Because Jesus is saying we'll be resurrected and we'll live on. The ideal in Buddhism is that you're extinguished into nirvana. You don't really live on as an individual. It's false. Atheism is false. Believing you just die and that's it. And Jesus is making this very clear when he says, I am the resurrection. Then he goes on and he says, I am the life. Now what does he mean by that? Well, he tells us, everyone who lives now and believes in me shall never die. Everyone who lives and believes in me 
shall never die. The promise here is that every person who lives in Jesus and has faith in Jesus receives eternal life now so that they shall never die even when their body dies. Jesus is saying he is the life. He is the one who gives eternal life. That eternal life begins in the here and now so that you never die if you live and believe in him. You have to live and believe in Jesus. And so Jesus is saying here again that every belief system that does not teach eternal life now through faith in Jesus is false. It's a negation. You can't have the truth, the two together. And this includes those who say that Jesus is just a prophet or a good teacher. Quite frankly, if Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life as he did, and it's wrong, he is neither a prophet nor is he a good teacher. And so what is Jesus saying here? He's saying that religion such as Islam is false. It's wrong. In Islam, you don't know for sure if you're going to have eternal life. You hope you've done enough good stuff to outweigh all the bad stuff. But you can never know that until you're there. Jesus says, no, you live and believe in me. You know it now. You've got eternal life. That means things like Baha'ism is false. Things like modern Judaism is false. By the way, modern Judaism is not biblical Judaism, and we know that. So Jesus is making a very startling claim here. He says, I in myself am the resurrection and the life. That's his opinion. That's who he says he is. Okay, so as we've been saying, so what? You can say anything, right? You can claim anything, but it doesn't make it true. So the question come, comes, what does Jesus do, or how does he show, how does he prove that he can make such a claim? And he does it right after that in the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Now you heard a little bit of the story, as I told the kids. Uh, Mary, Martha, Lazarus were Jesus' best friends outside of his disciples. It says he loved them. And they loved him. And so the expectation was, as soon as they called, that Jesus would rush there to heal Lazarus and make him well. But Jesus doesn't do that. He hangs out with the disciples and says, no, I'm going to wait for a bit. No, I'll give, you know, I'm going to wait for a bit. And the disciples are kind of wondering, okay, what's going on? He says, well, you know, Lazarus has fallen asleep. Oh, wow, okay, that means he's resting. That's why he's waiting. And then he goes on and says, no, Lazarus has died. You know, and then it's like, okay, well, time to go. And they said, wait, 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 they were trying to kill you there earlier. He says, oh, don't worry about it, let's go. So they go, and here comes Martha. She, she's waiting, she's hoping that Jesus would come. She comes running out, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus says, he's going to live on. And she says, well, I know he'll live on the last day. And he says, no, I am the resurrection and the life. And you got all of that, that exchange there. And, uh, and she said, do you believe? And she says, yes, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God. And so she goes to get Mary. 
Now, I don't think that Jesus was calling for Mary. I think Jesus was waiting for Mary. I, I suspect that maybe it was Martha that said, hey, Mary, come on out because Jesus is calling for you. And she's like, finally, because notice Mary goes out. I mean, Martha goes out, but Mary was stayed seated. I mean, this is like, no, I'm not going to go. You know, you can't make me. He should have been here. And then so she goes out. And then what? First thing, accuses him. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus said, okay, let's, let's go. And they take him toward the tomb. And Jesus sees all the people around. Now, it says he's deeply disturbed in his spirit. Actually, the word there is that Jesus gets angry. And he gets angry because of all the unbelief around. Here's Mary and Martha, closest friends, and they kind of believe, but they don't really believe. And then here's all these other people that are gathered around uh, uh, mourning and wailing and crying. And, 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 you know, here's Jesus, and even now they don't believe. But it's interesting how Jesus, at the same time he's stirred up in his spirit, he also starts weeping. Uh, and this is tears of sorrow and grief and mourning uh, for the people. And then, you know, the people say, well, couldn't this guy, he saved so many people, couldn't he come and save Lazarus? And then he gets stirred up in his spirit again. So there's all this stuff going on. And he says, okay, roll away the stone. And they say, no, he's going to smell bad. He says, no, roll away the stone. He does. Lazarus, come forth. And as I said to the kids, he'd been there for four days. And the belief was firm that after the third day, your spirit left your body. There was no possible way it would come back. So in their mind, it was absolutely impossible for anyone to raise a dead person after four days. But Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And they come out. He comes out. And it's amazing. It's amazing what happens as he comes forth. And notice what he's doing here. You know, in this sign, in doing this sign, Jesus exposed and challenged all the people's expectations regarding God. You know, I could spend a long time going through them. Just think of the expectations. The expectation that God will respond immediately when we call. The expectation that we can manipulate God some way based on his love for us. The expectation that uh, God works according to our timing and is never too late. In this case, God was very late, but still worked a miracle. God would never allow us to suffer, grieve, or die, and he would never lead us into danger. Some situations are beyond God's ability to deal with. That God would always come to us, not that we need to go to him. That God stands apart from our suffering and our grief and doesn't engage with it. That God is not emotionally engaged with us. And even that faith in Jesus Christ is just for when we die. I mean, these are just some of, some of the expectations that are challenged in this sign and in this story. And Jesus is saying, I'm not going to fit in your expectations. I'm not going to fit in your opinions. I'm not going to fit in your preconceived notions. I'm not going to fit in your ideas about me. And I don't have to conform to that. And he's declaring that quite clearly in this sign. 
In doing this sign, Jesus demonstrates very clearly the sovereignty of God and reveals how God will act for his glory. Notice how Jesus said, this is for the glory of God. It's for the glory of God. And primarily, God will always act for his glory. And we need to understand and accept that God's glory is our greatest good. God's glory is our greatest good. And doing this sign, Jesus demonstrated the truth of his claim to be the resurrection and the life. He did something that nobody has done and nobody's done since. Raised a man from the dead after four days. He demonstrated his ability to make the claim. And he said publicly at least two times in the course of this story that the reason he's doing this sign is so that you may believe that they may believe. And he proved that we can believe when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. But notice how extraordinary it is that as always, the people are divided. They just see this guy, some of the people who were mourning there, who maybe saw him put in the grave, who were at the funeral service, see him walk out of the tomb under his own strength. And there's a bunch of people who believe, but there's a bunch of people who don't. And notice what the people who don't do. They report Jesus to the Pharisees, who they know want to kill Jesus. So Jesus makes the claim, I am the resurrection and the life. And Jesus makes the demonstration that he is the resurrection and the life. He gives us the proof that he's the resurrection and the life. So what does Jesus require of us regarding this claim? What does he say? How must we respond if we are to engage with Jesus as the resurrection and the life? You see, we're not able just to take or leave Jesus as we want. You have to engage with Jesus in the way that Jesus requires, or you're not engaging with Jesus at all. Jesus doesn't go a middle way to say, oh, well, you take me or leave me. doesn't really matter. He says, this is who I am. You take it or you leave it. So what does he require? He first requires that we must believe in him. We must believe he is who he said he is. We must believe that he did what we know he did, die on the cross and rise from the dead. We must believe in Jesus. Like Martha, we must be able to declare, you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. You have to believe. You have to put your faith in Jesus as the resurrection and the life. But Jesus makes a second requirement here when he's talking to Martha. He says, we must live in Jesus. It's not enough to have Jesus in the back of your mind and think, okay, I, I know that Jesus is the resurrection, so hopefully I'll die one day and then I'll be raised in Jesus. No, Jesus says, whoever lives 
and believes in me shall never die. The expectation is that we live our lives in Jesus, that we live our lives in reference to Jesus, that we live our lives as followers of Jesus. But it's a clear expectation. Jesus also, I believe, implicitly here, is challenging us, telling us that we need to cast aside our expectations and demands of God and simply follow Jesus. I know a lot of people say, well, you know, if Jesus does this in my life, then I'm going to follow it. And Jesus says, just follow. Or some people say, well, you know, if God gives me a spouse, then I'll follow. And Jesus says, no, just follow. If God makes me a millionaire, I'll follow. No, just follow. You have to cast aside all those expectations, all those demands you want to put on God and say, God, I'm following. Jesus, I'm following you. No matter what. No matter if I stay exactly the same way, if I have exactly the same struggle that I'm having right now, the rest of my life, I'm following you. No matter what happens, I'm going after you because I want to, I believe in you and I want to live in you and I want to experience that life eternal right now that will never, never die. And I think it's also important for us in this, in the requirements of Jesus, for us to recognize in how the Pharisees respond the reasons why so many people refuse to follow Jesus. Now, there are a lot of people out there that are trying to undermine the truth of the New Testament, the truth of the Gospel of John. The truth is it's just stupid opinion. And they'll resent me for calling it that, but that's what it is. Because these documents, they're the most reliable documents that we have from that time. There's nothing there that challenges them. There's no alternate opinions that have been expressed around the time of Jesus to contradict what we read here. And so really, it's not about, it's not about the doubts and the questions. I shared the story about how uh, the team of Monty Python, when they wanted to write their film, The Life of Brian, um, they... Uh, uh, they decided to read the New Testament, the Gospels, because they intended to make a film about Jesus to poke fun. And after they read the Gospels, John Cleese tells the story, after they'd read the Gospels, they came back together and said, man, there's nothing about Jesus to criticize. There's nothing to make fun of. And so they rightly decided to make fun of religious people because, frankly, there's always a lot of stuff to make fun of about religious people. Now, so why did the Pharisees not believe? Why did that group of people who actually saw the miracle, why did they not believe? They tell us. They tell us. You know, first of all, they don't believe because Jesus challenges those expectations and opinions about God. But then the Pharisees said, well, well we, we, you know, we're afraid because we will lose our place. They were afraid to lose their position or their status. They said they might lose their nation. They might lose their people. They might lose their friends. 
And so because God doesn't adhere to their expectations, because they might lose their status or position, because they, they might lose their people, their friends, their nations, because they fear what other people think about them, they don't accept the truth about Jesus even when they know it is the truth. Look at somebody like Caiaphas in this story. Caiaphas, the text says, had actually received a prophecy that Jesus was going to die for the nation. But he didn't investigate it. He didn't look to what it really meant. And so he thought it meant, instead of following Jesus, that they could simply cast off Jesus so he might die on a cross. Now, as Jesus approaches the end of his ministry before the, the crucifixion, he makes very, very clear the either-or choice regarding himself. Saying, I am the light of the world. You know, I am the good shepherd. I am the gate. Those things are good. But to say, I am the resurrection and the life, and you have to live and believe in me, in order never to die. That's a startling claim. And Jesus' claims about himself confront the wishy-washy opinions about Jesus and the alternate claims about who Jesus really was and says, this is who I am. This means that every person has a choice. You accept and believe what Jesus said about himself. Jesus according to Jesus, or you reject and refuse to believe what Jesus said about himself. Understand, the arguments about against Jesus are almost never genuinely intellectual arguments. They involve people not wanting to lose their place, their nation, their independence, or their life in following Jesus. But that's exactly what Jesus requires. Jesus is according to Jesus, the resurrection and the life. And he is the only way, through faith in him, the only way to experience both. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we honor you, we worship you, we adore you. We thank you that indeed you are the resurrection and the life. Lord, stir our hearts to live and believe in you. Holy Spirit, come and fall upon us to inspire our faith, to stir it up inside of us so that we can know that we can know that we can know in the face of all the different opinions in the world that what Jesus said about himself is the truth. And it's the truth because he proved it. He demonstrated it time after time after time. And all the things he did while he walked this earth, and even more in his death and his resurrection. Oh Lord God, give us faith, give us boldness, give us courage to live for Jesus every single day, no matter the cost. And give us the confidence and faith that we need to do so. We love you and praise you. We pray all this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's worship the Lord.